Aalto University Podcast. Oravan Pesa, the Squirrel's Nest Podcast, a gatherer of voices, a place to incubate and disseminate critical ideas. Knowledge uh, moves forward as it as it discovers. Never understand me by just watching watching the photons that are being scattered. It was a challenge, and it it might be that there is no one application. Because someone has taken a decision. Everything is following very simple laws of nature. Sometimes the individual who is providing the, the data, it's quite powerless. The research that is not visible because... Knowledge is knowledge. You cannot make a footnote this long. Like a meteor. This is the Squirrel's Nest podcast, and I am Maria Villa, your editor and host. Our second episode, Monitor Thyself, brings in a multi-layered discussion that seems urgent in media design research and in society at large. The boom of technological developments for self-monitoring and to support health, well-being and productivity opens many questions. What are the true implications and effectiveness of these tools? Where are the learning processes involved? Which are the paths designers and companies should follow for a responsible development when dealing with sensitive topics and private data? Our guest today is Laura Usitalo, graduated from Alto this year with a master's thesis developing a mobile application to support women victims of intimate partner violence in the recovery process. Joining us in the conversation room is also Laura's thesis advisor, Eva Dural, member of the Learning Environments Research Group in Alto. Her doctoral dissertation addresses the challenge of supporting autonomous learning and investigates how physiological data tracking may help us enhance our self-awareness and deepen our reflection. Welcome uh, <laughs> to the conversation room and the Squirrel's Nest um, project. Uh, it's great to have you. I have invited you both to talk about the overlaps between the, the research each of you do and how they complement and help us uh, go into interesting topic. Uh, so maybe the first step would be if you could uh, speak about the work you're doing, the research you're doing, just briefly give an overview of what you do. Like in, in Eva's uh, uh, case, your doctoral thesis in a nutshell and uh yeah yeah and also Laura if you could just speak what what are the topics you're working with in that research in my thesis i was uh, exploring the situation when designing for women experiencing intimate partner violence i did a design project that i did in cooperation with a local ngo nice uh, linea Uh, who is uh, supporting women experiencing violence or who are under uh, threat of violence. And um, I did my research with a user-centric approach and my aim was to understand the situation of, uh, of the use of the potential users, uh, how the violence uh, affects on people and what what kind of process is the recovery process from violent experiences, aiming to understand uh, what are the practical needs, what kind of tools could help uh, women in such situations, and also explore explore the uh, 
privacy and safety issues uh, that are really coherent in these situations. When I started the project, the idea was to use participatory methods, like work very uh, in close cooperation with people who have knowledge of the situation, like Nystein Linja employees and, and volunteers uh, who volunteer and work with Nystein Linja in, in answering the telephones and, and online messages that the clients of Nystein Linja sent them about uh, the situations they're living in. And um, one thing when designing for women experiencing intimate partner violence is that it's difficult to approach the actual users because of the sensitive situations uh, they are living in. So I had to rely on kind of second-hand knowledge of volunteers who some of them had experienced violence and survived uh, from the situation um, or reading the stories of people who were probably on their on their recovery, writing blog posts, blog posts, uh, writing writing blog posts, and and such material. And my initial approach, uh, I couldn't do it in such way. And that's one thing to consider. Uh, that was kind of one finding of uh, in my research to consider when working in in this subject that it's very difficult to reach the actual users and, and you have to find the secondary ways to understand the situation. Well, I can, I can tell a bit about my, my work and how it connects. Well, in my case, uh, my research started with the observation that nowadays there is a, a lot of technologies that are tracking information, data about our behaviors. We might log in a website and what the places that we visit what we purchase, what we do, it's going to be tracked and it's going to be collected. Mm -hmm. And our digital actions I will be are one part of the amount of things that are increasingly being observed and monitored. So I would say that nowadays we are already, we can observe that there are some, some, some efforts to track physiological data, mm -hmm. how we feel with our body, what we... I don't know, the food that we consume, how much do we exercise? So this is getting into, into an arena that is becoming much more personal and intimate. Mm -hmm. And starting from this, I, I wondered how it's going to, to look when all these efforts for monitoring data and physiological data came into the field of learning. Mm -hmm. Because this, in a way, it's already there. I mean, formal education institutions are already tracking uh, part of a student's uh, behaviors. You might look at if people are graduating on time, if they are completing their assignments, uh, what resources are they using. So in a way, it's already there. And it's getting, well, my hypothesis is that in the near future, this is going to, to get into one step further. So what I wanted with this research was to explore how all these monitoring technologies uh, what do they bring? I mean, what can we observe from a learning situation that is meaningful to, to collect data about? Mm -hmm. And how can, how can we design a situation that is truly beneficial for the ones who are being observed and monitored? In this case, the learners, the students. Mm -hmm. So I would say that uh, Laura and, we, uh, and me, we share the, uh, the interest in monitoring something that could be very intimate. Like in, in your case, Laura, it's the emotions or how are you are feeling. 
And in my case, I was getting narrowed to, I narrowed to monitor um, mental states. As part of the research, I developed a prototype that was monitoring attention and relaxation while studying. So in a way, your mental state when doing cognitive work, it's something that is quite intimate if you are distracted, if you are dispersed, or if you are very focused. It might bring benefits, but it has, it has many challenges, and I would say that it's quite an extreme case of monitoring. And here what I wanted was to... To have uh, to pro first to provide an experience to people so they could see what what this means and how the future will look like when you get all these tools and get conversations that could be more reflective and also to get a debate in the academic community because many times I have the impression that many times emerging technologies are taken for granted that are positive that they are going to improve a situation. And, and they have the potential. It might be like that, but they always change what we have and they have backside effects, things that are in many cases very difficult to foresee. So here what I wanted with my research was to provide something that could foster conversations, critical conversations, and to provide design principles, guidelines about what uh, uses and applications could be more meaningful in a learning context. Yeah. Yeah, when you were talking about uh, about this uh, situation, that uh, whether the um, new technologies are um, beneficial, that kind of links uh, back to my work, where the the initial question was that um, I didn't mean me mention, but the brief I got um, from uh, from the client uh, was to design a mobile application that somehow uh, tracks the emotions. Uh, of the person who is under abuse or threat, um, either physical or emotional, and uh, and and then because uh, it was an application for mobile phone, there is these issues of uh, privacy and and also issues of safety. So I think whole of, whole of my thesis was wondering if it's. If it's beneficial, is it really useful to have this kind of mobile application, or is the downsides downsides worse? Like, is the security or safety uh, threats like a reason not to make such an application? Yeah. yeah, I think that in my case, the dilemmas I was struggling is that, well, I would say that when looking at all these tools that are monitoring behavior and states. You might identify two main approaches. One will be to try to modify behavior. And in many cases, this modification of behavior is trying to uh, to support uh, ways of doing that are more beneficial. So let's say that in, this ca in the case of abuse, you might say that, uh, well, it could be beneficial in some cases to uh, cut the relationship. However... I will see the, that in practice, in people's reality, uh, changing behavior, it doesn't, it's not a process that works that straightforward. Mm -hmm. Even if a person is in a very toxic relationship, you cannot just say uh, you have to change it or we are going to support you to change this because it's part of a process. You need to, you need to go through a set of stages that in, in the case of, uh, in the context that I was studying, it was awareness, 
of, for instance, the the case that I was focusing was uh, supporting people's skills for developing autonomous learning in independent study situations. Can you uh, define autonomous learning for me? Yeah, I'm, I'm not certain. Oh, that's a good. That's a that's a good. <laughs> it means that uh, you are able to take the decisions to successfully achieve your goals. So, in the case of learning, will mean that you know what you are going to do. You know how to manage your time. You know that if you get stuck with something, you are able to identify what is the problem and to ask for help about it. Technologies that focus on behavior change, in my view, sometimes uh, do not uh, offer enough opportunities for the person to be aware of all this process. So, yeah, one of, one of hmm. the very interesting things for me reading uh, Laura's thesis was that. Um, to understand that what you were working with was to understand to, to fully grasp what a process of recovery is and how that process is not linear and and how the learning happens in that process as a personal um, endeavor like you like each person and does it individually and and does it in a very particular circumstances and the process different people have in recovery from abuse in this case uh, can can take many different turns and and like you said there's people that don't even know are in this process they, they don't even know that they are being abused or that don't understand what are the conditions in which you would um, you could start changing this cycle of abuse so for me uh the 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 overlap between the the two works you were probably doing in very different uh contexts um is uh how media design is approaching research and research for development of tools as a way to understand learning in a richer and more layered way that is more humane but on the other hand what we have is an industry that is calling for this technology, you know, like having a demand for technology because people have these expectations that technology are gonna, is going to change their lives or is already changing them in many different ways. So I, it was very interesting for me to go through the thesis and understand these different moments of the process of recovery and how media is trying to anticipate how to give support in each of them and how you could describe the learning process happening there, you know, in which terms do you say there's learning? So I think a concept that was um, key was this the idea that empowerment is not just the um, the goal of, of uh, this recovery process, but it's actually part of the process is what gets the process going slowly. The same way that you cannot become an autonomous learner. You have to start somewhere until you you really achieve this ability of uh, motivating yourself or making good decisions that are effective and whatnot. Um, so um, tracking a little bit back into uh, into this, because the conversation is very wide in all the different um, problems that we humans have that where technology could step in to give tools. I would like to focus a little bit now on the uh, questions that are raised by by uh, Laura's thesis, uh, designing for women experiencing intimate partnered violence. Um, the first thing that come to come, came to mind 
um, when I began reading your thesis that I didn't know that uh, Finland situation with uh, um, domestic abuse was so high compared to the rest of Europe. Like when you give these figures that it intimate uh, partnered violence is considered a public health problem worldwide, where all, around 40% of women that are murdered are murdered by their partners. That's a huge, where, where, wherever there's no war or other reasons. It's true that in the case of Finland, the expectation will be that there shouldn't be that much. Well, overall violence, in, in, so. in Europe, you're, you're, the numbers you gave in, in your thesis were that um, of women that have had a partner, 30, uh, 20% of those women in Europe have suffered abuse. But in Finland, is 30% compared to the average in yeah. Europe, which is significantly yeah. high. There are like this, uh, I don't remember, this is a study made by European Union. Um, I don't remember the years or anything like that, but it was this kind of uh, that they were um, researching by going to meet the people, uh, kind of quantitative and qualitative, yeah. but not just a survey or not just statistics from, mm. from a police. But there is also, um, I'm not trying to explain the high Finnish rate, but there might be also kind of um, what is considered as a domestic violence because it's a cultural and societal uh, phenomena and uh, in some cases it has changed already in Finland uh, during let's say 50 years what was considered violence 50 years ago or like there might be different reasons why it is but it also might be that there just is more in Finland and yeah but I wanted to contrast this um, this uh, that Finland was the first country to ever give women the right to vote in 1906. And only penalized intimate partner violence in 2004. Yeah, it took 100 years. It took 100 <laughs> years. So so public, you know, like uh, public r- political rights were easy. But w- it seems like in Finland what what's private stays private. You know, there's this code of silence about the private sphere. How you see and how violence is described or how, what it is yeah. in in certain culture, it, it fluctuates. It's not, there is no like this, um, yeah, it, it changes. And then you, your definition that, the definition that you give in your thesis is partner abuse violates the integrity of victims in the place that should be saved by a person that should be trusted. Uh, this um, intimate partner violence is, Define like that, which is so. It, like it, it starts giving a sense of okay, what is the problem really? Because, of of course, in in the atmosphere we have lots of discussions about abuse and harassment, and there's the Me Too movement, and there's well, there's been a lot of discussion uh, about all kinds of ways in which women and and other groups or other minority groups or disempowered groups are victims and are easy victims because of the structure of how society works. Um, but then there's this uh, kind of like the, the, this trap where women are, where society is supporting um, their dependency or is, is um, accommodating or tolerates these situations of dependence from their male partners and then 
the abuse happens, and the more abused they are, the more dependent they become. So this kind yeah, of like that's a, one part of the circle. Yeah, comes. Uh, and then society is not helping at all. You know, like these cultural rules of, uh, you know, that that the shame that is connected to admitting the abuse. I hope it will change. I think there are kind of seeds of change happening yeah. all the time. For yeah. example, I think the the public discussion uh, has uh, right, like really grown in, yeah. towards this topic lately. With like even after I finished my thesis mm. or like when I was uh, writing it, or maybe I'm just also like really picking up whatever discussion there is. But I think I mean, me, it's all over. me too. Is affecting on this too because this is kind of part of this uh, Me Too movement. Uh, um, even though Me Too is more on the public space and more on the um, maybe workplace related or like harassment and sexual abuse and not that much on domestic violence. But I think this this kind of evolves and carries to that direction too. I think that something that is interesting here. It's like, well, in a way, we are talking about changing the behavior of a, could be an individual, but also in this case, a society. And in a way, I think that you need the same, to go through the same stages. You need a certain level of awareness that this is a problem. And this is a problem that it's not happening in the private sphere in this case, but it's affecting a whole set of cultural norms or things that are more like tacit in the culture. But also, I will say that, and, and maybe these uh, different things like the Me Too and many other, uh, like the appearance of news in the media, are helping with this uh, awareness of, hey, this is here. Mm -hmm. But also, there needs to be a reflection process. And here, I will say that, well, in our cases, we are focusing more on the on the individual level. But I think it will be really interesting to think about how to support group reflection of a society of a bigger group, because if we want to change our, our values or behaviors of a society, uh, we really need to engage in a deeper and critical yeah. reflection. Yeah. And it's I think that, that the, um, Laura's project was very interesting, the way you were thinking of all this uh, connected inside the, the design of the application, uh, the fact that that this there was this step of um, understanding, recognizing, and naming experiences. You know, like on one end, it's like there's the importance of acknowledging feelings, but you several times in your in your uh, work you mentioned that that you know just uh, not dwelling on on feelings is very important, not not being trapped in the emotions because that can just increase anxiety instead of helping people in the recovery process. But how this recognizing and naming has to do with getting appropriate information about what constitutes abuse and what are your resources to get out. So in a way, if I was thinking of the situation of the person that is uh, under abuse or in the process of recovery um, in and it's still in an uh, abusive relationship, how can you unlock that trap when this person is not able even to speak or to reach out and that the app would be able to go into that intimate space of, you know, just a personal awareness and start giving information as to understand a more societal perspective of what is the situation she's in. You know, this is not a good situation and you're not um, guilty for it. It's, this is not your fault. 
and these are your resources or these these are the things you should be planning for your safety and the safety of your children, for instance. That they are giving tools without telling you already, like, yeah, you need to end this relationship. They're not that they, 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 it's not jumping to conclusions or that you need to join a group already because somebody may not feel ready to do that yet. I think so, overall when um, when designing tools for processes, uh, learning or, yeah. or, or recovery, the challenge is that people can be in very different stages and if you need to reach all of them, like, yeah. for example, to, to use help in... Um, or this kind of um, uh, tools in learning, there needs to be awareness of uh, of 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 this learning reflect uh, self reflection, but also awareness of the tool. Like it's also like whether you have an access to something or not. And that was also in yeah. in such a mobile application. You need to find it somewhere. There needs to be this. The, the first level of awareness is that you might be the target audience, that it, it there might be something that could be beneficial for you, and then you need to somehow end up finding it. Yeah, and once you find it, you have to make sure that you're safe using mm, it, Yeah, which is like the second like level of complexity. Does your partner know more about technology than you do? Can, you, can he, you know... Yeah. And for example, I, I had a discussions with the volunteers who are answering the phones and and kind of from the perspective of recovery and the process. And and they said that the callers can be in very different stages. Like somebody is like really, like really in their first step of asking like, am I crazy? Is this what's happening with me? Is it my fault? And somebody is already like planned and maybe asking some uh, financial Uh, advices like um, how how I can survive without the uh, financing that I get from my um, yeah. uh, abusive partner. So yeah. so to reach all these needs, it was a challenge, and it it might be that there is no one application that can yeah. do. I think the benchmarking that that you did, comparing what different apps were providing women that were in this uh, recovery process or abuse uh, situation was very interesting how, I mean, of course, things that can be very developed for many different reasons and purposes and more, some are more commercial and others are more like targeted to like self-awareness. But I think that the tools that you chose to focus on um, were really uh, very um Like the selection was very good, I think, because it was providing. If if you needed to to prepare for for a situation, you were giving options to to start thinking of how to prepare. If you wanted to focus on your feelings, you were you could just go in that level. Uh, if you needed information or or reaching out to organizations that can help you, that was also possible. Um, it seemed like very organic and very respectful of the process that each person is having. Uh, and and I would say that the like like the the moment of change or or of behavior or of situation, it was just like an option at the end, but not it was not pushed from the beginning. Like this is gonna make you your life change. Uh, but in the sense that it's more like it's I, I don't know if I got it right, but that it's more like we're the the app is gonna accompany you in the process of understanding what your situation is and what your options are yeah i think it would be too much 
foreign application to try to yeah. somehow state that yeah. I can change your life. I know some applications are doing that and they are promising change people's lives, whatever notepad, what kind of whatever kind of mm. organizing applications they are. But they are like for different situations that uh, the the change and the awareness and the goal is aligned with the application. But in this year, kind of on the gray area, and I think the users, the potential users might be also in a gray area that they don't necessarily yeah. know what they want. They don't know what they need. Maybe yeah. they have just the feeling that everything is not good. Everything is not right. And this is maybe something that I can relate to, like their own, their own situation. Yeah. So it was chose to be subtle. And everything I had, like in my... Um, my proposal or concept is um, maybe the diary uh, like um, following the emotions or what has happened and, and different situations was something that I didn't find in this context but it's something that is proposed commonly to mm-hmm. to keep track because those Tracks could be like diary notes could even be used as an evidence yeah. in in case of uh, of uh, if there is a law kind of lawsuits or something like yeah. that. Well, something that uh, I think that is good to or Alisa that I was like reflecting quite a lot during the the process, and I don't know if you you engage in the same kind of thoughts, but uh, many of these tools talk about data as if it was uh, raw material, objectives, and the uh, representation of what is really happening. And even if it's talking about something that could be qualitative, like your perceptions out of something, or something that could be more like quantitative, mm-hmm. like a percentage about your level of uh, attention, well, I think that all this, uh, it's good to take in mind that uh, this data is constructed. So there are different layers and there is a lot of interpretation. So many times what we call data has been interpreted quite a lot by us or by a machine. Mm. So in a way, I will say that contextualizing, putting things into the proper frame, considering that sometimes, uh, for instance, uh, what we, what you judge or your perceptions about something might be biased by what is your last memory or the strongest emotion that you had during uh, that period. All this is introducing a lot of bias. Or what emotions you have at the moment when you're looking yeah. whatever data you have. Yeah. Like even that is like fussing the, the yeah, You can perception. overwhelm yourself with your own data. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And that was part of, for example, in, in my case, that the emotions were the starting points, but they kind of fade away. There is two reasons. And one was it that it was uh, kind of advised uh, from from almost everybody that that's this dwelling of emotions without a proper guide. You need someone to reflect those emotions like a therapist or or a super group or something. Uh, there is good to dwell into emotions because there are somebody who, who can yeah. stop you if you're going too deep and kind of uh, rationalize the situation, which is not maybe possible when working alone with difficult emotions. And And another one was that it was very difficult to find research that I could... Uh, I, I I couldn't do that much of research myself, like like really um, have this kind of testing, build an application and and evaluate its effect on on with some any kind of group. So I kind of tried to find um, any kind of 
research that someone else had done on anything related to this subject. And there is a very little. I, I found one that was, uh, I could say that it was scientifically proved that this kind of uh, safety uh, planning tool was effective. And it was uh, it was the only research that I could find about the tool that what is working. And yeah. this goes with... I think most of the applications related to well-being and yeah, there's a boom of development. But how much of these things have been really tested, and and what what is the how can how reliable are they really? Yeah, but it's also so fresh technology that I think there are research going on, like yeah. all the time everywhere. People are researching it now, but yeah. and probably after. Uh, what research I did, there must have been like new publications and new information and new knowledge on the subject. Yeah, I, there is a lot of development in that area, but I think that a, a critical aspect is that sometimes it's not that transparent how these designs are made and how the inferences on the data are made. And I think this is something that is coming and people are starting to to question that. But for instance, in the case of learning, I was finding that this was a bit perverse because There is data, let's say attention, that is monitored about you. And based on this, there are going to be like inferences and there are going to, to be consequences. You're going to be evaluated. You're going to, your study record is going to be go in a specific way or another. Your teacher is going to suggest you to do something. Mm -hmm. So it's, a, it's data that is constructed, is presented as, as objective and has an impact on the future actions that... And sometimes the individual who is providing the the data, it's quite powerless. Yeah, yeah. The same the same instrument that is done that is provided for learning is used for surveillance in a way. These all these technologies are surveillance technologies. We might change the name, but at the end we are surveilling. Yeah, that that was the, the, one of the sensitive topics also, like the management of the data and how how the data is going to be dealt with, or how can you protect the, that data. And what what data you can even get? Is it stored on the phone or can it be stored somewhere like yeah. on the cloud? Because when it's on the phone, it's slightly more safer place unless the phone is stolen or somehow broken into. Yeah. And to some extent, I guess that you were also approaching that because in a way the data that we collect about ourselves has an impact on our identity. So how we see ourselves, how yeah. how how efficient I am with my learning, how uh, how much do I procrastinate? All these questions, all these issues create an image about myself. And at least in my case, when I was doing the user tests and I was uh, having discussions after that and confronting the data with the people so they could comment, uh, some of the people were like changing their self images because of what the, because of the feedback that the technology was providing yeah. which in, in in a way it's amazing i mean yeah because it's not something that is really objective but people are taking it and i would say as a society we're taking this data as objective so at the moment that you change your perception out of yourself because of what the technology is saying well i, I think that we we really deserve uh, like a analysis of yeah. how this technology is built and how the yeah. data that it's analyzing it's uh, selected and interpreted. Yeah, because the data is not neutral the way the, it, the way you design how to collect that data and organize it. That's not politically neutral. 
Not at all. There are intentions attached to the the algorithms that are used to organize that data and 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 to classify it and to classify you as a subject. And then there's the problem that you, that your article uh, also uh, put on the light that that people are approaching a lot of these technologies uh, in a competitive way with this you know, maybe dragged into these technologies in the use of these technologies because of gamification, uh, because it's fun to measure yourself. But at the same time, that in, instead of using them to have more awareness of themselves and thinking of how they live or how they approach their profession or their career, that they are just using it as, as an input to compete with others. Yeah. So, like, who are you competing with? In a way, I think that as a society, and I think that this goes beyond learning, but uh, we are in a very competitive environment. And if, because any reasons you don't manage to meet the standards that are asked about you, about your personal, professional life, then the, the trend is to blame the individual. And all these technologies seem to, to act, in some cases, as a, as a fix to the individual problems. And sometimes it's social problems. Yeah. I don't know, what, Laura, what do you think about that? Because I think that in a way of social or uh, intimate partner violence also could be understood as a, as a failure of the person who has experienced that situation. And that's why they don't want to share or it's so difficult to get throughout. Yeah, I think the... Um, sorry, I'm missing English word. Uh, the interpretation of, of, uh, of a person who is abused is often that it's their fault they are they are mm. to blame and it's definitely they won't see it as a structural or cultural or societal yeah. problem like there is no way that because it's so personal it's so close and it's between mm. probably between two people yeah but when someone else look at it they can see that it's a cultural problem or it's a societal problem and the solutions uh, aren't individual pro- like and there is no if somebody who is abused uh, manages for example to leave the the relationship, then there is kind of one abuser lose that can find a next victim. So because like concentrate only to a person who is surviving is like really not like solving any problems. Mm-hmm. It's just like the, the actual, the, the, be- the beginning, the initial start of the problem is still out there doing whatever he or she feels like. Yeah, until they do something bad enough that the case is put to light and people say, okay, and there's a history of abuse here and this, yeah. you know. And then <laughs> it starts their learning process yeah. or their uh, yeah. punishing process the posi- or whatever yeah, there yeah. is it. Yeah. But but it's also like, I, I, it was my choice not to go into that direction. I was totally concentrating on on women as victim uh, victims of abuse. So I didn't go into understanding why it happens or what are the reasons of the perpetrator, perpetrators to to abuse. And it's often, it, it can be also that it's uh, mutual. It happens uh, yeah. simultaneously yeah. To, towards either part, uh, either like to the both parties. So, but yeah, you even say that research indicates that there are no safe type of relationships, that every anyone can or could be the victim. Yeah, like I, I don't know what yeah. it, the safe type could be like it because yeah. there is like it happens in all socio-economical um, levels or yeah. It doesn't and then there's all these in, intersectional problems, you know, race, how how race or authority in a field 
you know, like that it's not just men to women, but it's whoever has power, how mm. they exercise that power starts producing cases of or situations of harassment or abuse. Yeah. One thing I probably read from, it might have been World Health Organization publication, but it might be something else. Uh, so, um, but I remember reading one part that said that the most beneficial finding on on what could be helping the situation is to educate is education mm. it's to educate uh, educate young people especially mm. uh, male especially yeah. yeah not just female to protect themselves but male to uh, for instance all this emphasis on on uh, consent yeah that was never mentioned before the 80s even yeah so but For me, for me personally, I I have uh, maybe a, I will be careful with the word uh, educate because in in a way there is a, a power relation in education. There is someone who is defining what is correct, and then is telling the others to reproduce that uh, behavior. So I mean that's a minor thing, but I will say that the ideal situation will be that everyone is aware and takes responsibility of the type of relations that we want to have with others. And that's why in my case or in learning, I was like putting the emphasis on on autonomous, on supporting people becoming autonomous, because that involves that you are like actually thinking about the, you're not doing the things because you know that someone is after you or that because that is the thing that you are supposed to do, but because you believe that that's something that you want to do to achieve a goal yeah. that is positive. I think this takes us back to Laura's uh, work in the sense that... Uh, There's this this process, like for instance, if if a woman that has two children needs to leave the the, the husband, and is completely dependent, or needs to like even move away from the city where they are, the, the town they are living in, because the, this abuser is gonna keep on, uh, um, um, yeah, um, chasing her around. Uh, the goal of ending that relationship is like unthinkable. It's, it means dismounting an entire life, and there's no way to start. I think that it's interesting that that the the app was trying to to give the the user a way to make a way to make sense of things slowly and you know through steps, even if the steps are not predefined, like in a in a linear way. Um, there was this kind of I think it was the empowerment theory that I was reading that there is need. Uh, of different things like skills, or like I could call them resources, different kind of resources. Mm-hmm. That one is awareness, or or learning new things, or finding new ways, and and those build up during the uh, to, during the process, mm-hmm. and 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 it kind of it's I think it's unnoticed. Like, yeah. but if if they if if the person can reach somewhere, find information somewhere, at some point there might be enough of these skills and resources that helps her, her to leave the situations or or solve it some other way mm. but uh, I was especially asking this from the people I interviewed that what is the reason that people usually uh, what happens that makes them uh, make the change what is the thing and it was actually quite sad that most often it is when they are afraid of losing their lives They're afraid of their kids losing their lives or they're losing their health or mental health or something. Mm. It's something that it seems that that this slide that people in that situation go down 
really needs to hit the rock bottom that mm. it kind of uh, I don't know I don't know how to call it uh, mm. what, what happens then realizes and some kind of a something that uh, and it has to be there like no one can force it no one else can do it and sometimes it can be also positive mm. that something nice happens that awakens the dreams kind of that maybe going somewhere seeing an apartment where you could live with just your kids and not without and not with the abusive person and then this dream starts to build up this is from uh, an example from one interview that this little thing she said that was something that awakened the dream for herself for a better life and she stayed in the relationship for a couple of years after that or something like that because it was so difficult but she said that this dream was something that was driving her forward no It's interesting because at the beginning I was also doing some interviews to understand how people, uh, what is the process that makes people make a change. In in that case, it was regarding their learning habit, uh, study habits, and in relation to their well-being. And some of the yeah the cases in which they had really make a drastic change, they were also hitting the bottom. They were facing heavy depressions, like situations of uh, health issues. So there was like really alarms of this is not going well. So in a way I would say that's yeah one <laughs> one path that people can do that can the people who make a, a change take but mm. on the other hand on a much milder level uh, when I was doing the user tests I realized that there were like small things that uh, were like encouraging people self esteem that they were fostering it. For instance I remember the What was? Let me think. But there was one case in which a person was uh, actually very happy about the the meditation thing, because she she felt that now she had a a new resource to control her procrastination or when she was very yeah. distracted. And it's not that I think that that's kind of the solution to make, yeah. but at least for her, she was really stuck with that, that ah, I procrastinate and then the whole afternoon is lost. But then she was like, well, now I know a tip or something that I can do. And yeah. like this might yeah. be many other things. So, yeah, at some point you, you mentioned in your article that this transformative process is maybe a cycle between action and reflection, like an action and then looking at the action and thinking again and acting again and, you know, like um, that that people do learn from their their doing yeah and from looking at their actions yeah and i would say that when when you get things that work that yeah. in the direction that you want this is really powerful or at least of course i was yeah. not facing any critical situation but i could see that uh, it was like a boost of self confidence in people's uh, who are experienced that uh, and i think that that's uh, that's something really interesting and really really beautiful because in a way it, it's like telling people that you can do whatever you want if you have the confidence in yourself that yeah. you can achieve it yeah. so that that was something that i would really like to to understand a bit a bit better yeah it's funny because we talk about technology now and it was in the 80s for Foucault was talking about the technologies of the self for a completely different thing. Well, I don't know if you yeah, are yeah. familiar with his texts. Uh, I might not be. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was just actually he was not even referring to something he invented. He was referring to to the Greeks and and to Socrates. And 
and he, in these lectures that he gives uh, in, in the 80s, uh, that's called a series of lectures that were later published as the Technologies of the Self, he analyzes the concept of uh, um, know thyself that, that everybody's like familiar with, but he goes back to the Greeks and analyzes how they were using them, that concept. And, and the way uh, it, when you, re- when you read Greek and you go into it, uh, actually there was the, the know yourself, know yourself, was actually just a part of a bigger construction of this idea of uh, look after yourself you know, care about yourself, that it was the, the virtuous way of living in the, in the police, that, so that people needed to examine their se- themselves in order to act. And knowledge was part of that process. Uh, so comparing technologies that just give you data <laughs> to this other more organic process, that is self-awareness and how, what, how do you operate uh, connected to action in a, in a way that is really doing you well instead of just collecting points or, you know, like comparing yourself to others and, and that in a way that really empowers you. Yeah, I think that Foucault is still a very relevant <laughs> reference for all these uh, technologies that uh, collect data about people's behaviors. Yeah. And, but I will say that uh, besides the, this part of the you know, connecting with the, with the grids and knowing the self, I will say that the part that this uh, he's also like uh, working on the concept of biopolitics yeah. of the body, and yeah. I would say that it's it's very kind of relevant in a way. All this, or at least in in the field of uh, monitoring physiological data, it's uh, there are some discourses that are like uh, modifying how we well these ideas of how we preserve ourselves, but also these ideas of what is the direction that we should aim for is very political. Yeah. For instance, people were uh, in my case uh, there was this the the tool that I was using. It was a helmet that was monitoring uh, electroencephalographic uh, kind of. Uh, information and actually well it was providing this information about attention and relaxation people were taking for granted that it was the best thing was to be very attentive and that will mean that they were very productive and efficient with the, when using their time their study time so no at the beginning it took a time until they started to question what it means to be attentive and what is wrong with procrastinating or <laughs> taking your time to do other things? They took for granted that, no, no, I have to be productive and I have to be very focused to perform yeah. this. Yeah. So in a way, there there is a lot of politics under, under these discourses of efficiency and productivity. Yeah. And these technologies, uh, or some of them, are like reproducing that in a very like natural way. So if you are not very attentive, you you might end in a track that it's not even aligned with what you really want. Yeah. So in a way, you might look at all these technologies as they are like uh, augmenting our abilities. And, yeah. And that's I mean I think it's a it's a val it's it's valid and it's true. When we use a tool, is because we want to perform uh, we want to achieve a goal that it's easier to achieve with that tool. Yeah. So, in a way, yes, they are extending our, our abilities. But at the same time, the tools, technologies that we use are also acting as a, as a filter of, uh, of reality. It's like yeah. they're, they're in all these quantified self or like monitoring tools, in a way they are acting as a, as a mirror. 
they're providing yeah. a, a reflection of how is how, how you are but in a way this reflection is not neutral yeah and it's affecting how you how you see yourself and how you see the world technology sometimes is making us less present that's uh, exactly. that, that yeah. relates to one project that we we are working on well currently with some other colleagues and we are exploring how how digital tools can can support uh, communication and collaboration mm-hmm. and in many cases the you know there we were benchmarking benchmarking all these technologies for tracking emotions uh, physical physiological states there there was all this intensive monitoring that we were like considering and benchmarking and then when going to the interviews focus groups and workshops people were like they chose for them it was critical to know if the other one is actually listening when having a audio-based discussion. So Yeah, well, that takes us back to where we are right now. This sculpture was built by a Chilean artist, Arias Bustamante. Uh, he works with many things, uh, but with audio um, yeah, installations of different things. And I think his idea, his main idea, if I understand it correctly, was that, that people would sit in a quiet space where they would really listen to each other, not so much talk, like, but like to really be present and be present with their thoughts and like stop the disturbance of the environment, the business to just, you know, quiet down. And the first p- place that he installed this uh, sculpture was actually in, in Campi, one of the busiest spots of Helsinki. And, um, and the archive of those conversations then is released. I mean, in a way, the, the data is secure because they are never released whole. To the environment, they're just bits and pieces, and you never know who's talking. So it's a little bit. That's the safety net of of whatever happens in here. Problem <laughs> or how I would see like when you translate this to other domains is like um, I think that there's the issue about contextualizing the data, mm. and that's why when we were meeting to prepare this conversation, I was mm. asking, and mm. how can I know that the my the things that I say are not going to be decontextualized and yeah. lose the meaning. And yeah. that's a conversation in which you can expand your yeah. thoughts and you can have more control of what you are trying to yeah. communicate. But when you look at data, like your behaviors, your physiological states, or your thoughts at very specific yeah. moment in time, yeah. that's if you decontextualize that, you can get something like it's completely in a different direction yeah. of... Well, I will say that identity is really hard to define because it keeps changing. But in this case, you mix like presenting something as if it was like the true representation yeah. plus data that might have some lots of bias. So. Yeah, yeah, and there's and 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 the way you're classified or judged based on the data you provide or your features can be very harsh. You know, there are many ways in, of social engineering being being really unfair to people and. I mean, it has it has happened all over history. And you never, I mean, one thing is to say, yeah, we have safety for your data this year, but you don't know what's happening in 10 years yeah. with that data. Organizations are very bad at keeping their data at all, or <laughs> let alone keeping it safe. And it costs money to yeah, upkeep course, yeah. this and keep yeah. it secure. Yeah. And so there needs to be like, uh, when developing these kind of uh, uh, applications, I think it goes to the big parties because they have the money to develop it and to upkeep it and to have the bandwidth or whatever is needed, the storing place. But uh, this kind of applications that I was working with aren't interesting 
for for big companies. So who would do these kind of things would be small associations or some kind of groups mm-hmm. of associations with very limited resources that are usually project-based. Mm-hmm. So if you have a uh, funding for uh, like developing and implementing certain kind of application, you still need the funding to keep it going and to develop it further yeah. and, and and do some research and evaluate it and to keep it, uh, to have it effective. Uh, yeah. So so I think there is this kind of uh, power play also of who is yeah. getting the data because at least for now it needs resources yeah. to collect But it hopefully the it. public discussion that is going on worldwide about uh, harassment and, and abuse in general is pushing the topic up into the you know the, into the public policy discussions on everywhere like people have to pay more attention to what's happening and how to how to take you know Yeah. Action on it. Yeah, and for example, stalkers are taking considered, of, for example, in Facebook. They have done some cooperation yeah. with Nysten Linja in Finland and mm-hmm. probably with some other parties in some other countries. So, so the issue is at least acknowledged. There is some kind of a knowledge yeah. that it it happened and some possibilities. You can block someone with Facebook, but it usually just doesn't help because you maybe have common common friends and it's yeah. still possible to uh, publish something humiliating material or images yeah. or videos even if you're not in straight connection so so web can be used it's it's a weapon in these kind of yeah. situations yeah. and it's quite often not considered of when thinking about security yeah. uh, the security is uh, in in web environment is usually something anonymous that tries to grab your Uh, your information and do something with it. Maybe yeah. maybe steal identity or uh, steal information that can be somehow monetized. Uh, but in this situation, it's next to you. The, the person who is trying to reach your data or or manipulate it or or share it somehow, it, it it's a different kind of uh, security. Uh, yeah. 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 yeah, of course. I think that in your case, well, it's quite an extreme case, but from there, it's it's really interesting because there might be many things that can be can be translated or used to other type of designs that are using that are monitoring personal information. So, in a way, the, for instance, the security aspects that you needed to take into consideration were much more than in, in my case. So, but. I'm thinking that since you were in a quite a extreme situation of use, that the the implications and the the things that you propose in your in your work, I think that they could really be really beneficial for other type of designs that are working with different applications based on yeah. personal data. Yeah. yeah, I think the issue of trust and who is providing these services is uh, is the question of of this kind of applications or data collecting devices and services. And this was also an issue that needed to um, think with my project, like uh, the data storing and, and safety of all, all these things uh, is one issue. But also, like, uh, is the party trustworthy and who is the partner that you work with? Mm-hmm. And, and for example, this kind of issue of, uh, of domestic violence can be anywhere. So is the, like, of course, the data would be somehow... Uh, for encrypted so that it can't be opened by just anybody. But still, who knows who ends up working with the data? 
going a little bit back to the this idea of why do we do the things we do of all the topics that you could approach to in your discipline in in media design all the tools that you could play around with the options you have you decided to choose these kinds of issues and tools why are you interested in this you're bringing into the technology development and research and development um a lot of philosophical issues and critical issues political issues that i don't hear a lot in this alto environment that i can like miss from social sciences like you're bringing social sciences through the back door a little bit <laughs> and psychology like i feel you you're making it present and there they seem such tough topics for somebody that was just like maybe meant to be doing cool colorful designs or like you know like impressive apps it was a tough subject it was tougher than i thought maybe in a different way than i thought that it would be but it was really it was a difficult subject and why i chose it there was partly coincidence but of course i was doing towards uh, this type of uh, subject not necessarily working with intimate partner violence but working with some kind of uh, social issues or mental health health well-being um at that point i was very interested in working working uh with uh, such an subject and when i got the possibility to work in cooperation with nystenlinia i was happy to grasp it and why is the more difficult question like why why is it maybe something that there's some kind of a personal relationship that i'm interested on the on the subject of uh surviving <laughs> i don't yeah. know difficult subjects but why it, it i i i can uh, wonder about it a bit and maybe i come up with an uh, answer but it's very difficult i'm interested in but why that's dif- difficult yeah i will kind of just make a clarification i think that in, in a way like for all this my experience is that the people in that i have met that are working in the at least in the media lab and design department I think that maybe that we don't see our roles as making the colorful designs <laughs> even though if from the outside it might at some point might give that impression. So I would say that in a way that's something that oh, at least like with many people who are like the developing design processes and that they have this initial research that's something that everyone is facing this dealing with complexity and social aspects. Mm-hmm. Maybe what uh, maybe what it's like we are facing is like the true challenge of becoming transdisciplinary mm. reaching the different uh, disciplines and areas of knowledge and learning how to communicate with uh, different people that you need uh, input and feedback and and help during the process yeah. for me that was really challenging so as a, and i think that well i think that in some ways this is recognized i'm hoping that in the in the in the near future this will be something that not only here but in the all institutions will realize that mm-hmm. they need to support that because it's it's really hard work and, yeah, and a lot of the press you get as a discipline has to do with with the technology just as technology not not it's not about the discussions that are happening behind that development yeah. or or the struggles you're going through to to get things working uh, really to support well-being or other things like that like like you get the the slogan that we're working for well-being but it's all very positive and i mean at least in the yeah. uh you know advertisement of the discipline 
But what I'm interested in is how how you are really going into multidisciplinary and cross-disciplinary discussions that are not easy at all. Yeah. Well, personally, it was like a... <laughs> getting to I, I fully understood what does it mean to get out of the comfort zone <laughs> and I had many discussions in which now I think I got already used to that but at the beginning it was really uncomfortable to go and meet a professor or someone who has a lot of knowledge in neurosciences or psychology or technology or whatever and you go there with your assumptions that yeah. you're thinking, I hope that this person understands that I'm kind of missing many things. And yeah. that, I mean, I must say that the experiences were good, but it's like it takes a bit of um, effort to to really move out of your area of knowledge. And why, why in the case that what you were asking before, why I decided to focus on this particular aspect? Well, I might say that maybe the connection is that Personally, I feel I feel bothered or there is like a strong feeling or emotion of I, I really don't like uh, power relations. I think that uh, one thing is uh, to discuss about authority and different level of expertise and respect that might arise because of that. But I think that in, in society, like any society, there are many situations in which there are power relations that are based on difference in knowledge. Yeah. on difference in skills on resources and i think that uh, i think that education and learning are uh, can be a very powerful tool to bypass these power relations and mm. build more like equalitarian equity based societies yeah. so i'm i'm taking it from the point of learning and maybe education but i'm putting more the emphasis on learning because i think it's it's a way to to lead to more fair societies yeah at the individual level and also at group level. So. Well put answer. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was thinking similar things, but I just couldn't get it out of myself. <laughs> you have really reflected on, on your kind of motivations. <laughs> After five years. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> Uh, what keeps on being elusive or despite findings, despite, you know, the developments and, and what are things that keep on being puzzling to you after going like through your master's process, thesis process and then you're just going to present your doctoral thesis? 2nd of November. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes. okay. So We're just warming up here. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what keeps on being something that you cannot kind of like put on the table that you would want to work with or that you feel it needs attention? I, I have to say that I'm still a bit recovering from this uh, yeah. this thesis process. I I wasn't like, when, when you first asked me to come here, I said yeah. that I won't. <laughs> But you were very persistent. Like, yeah. really, I admire. <laughs> But I'm happy that I came. It was like really good. Thank you for being persistent. Yeah, I'm kind of... Uh, starting now to look for what it is i i mean like i'm working now as a consultant uh, on a public sector though, though but uh, as a just like just a designer one of the many and um, struggling with the meaning and purpose of my my skills and and what i what i actually want to do and is that satisfying and for how long and am i doing just for money or what it is so i'm kind of i have always had some goal some purpose something that i reach for and and i'm in a strange situation that at the moment i don't have so i'm kind of in a point of 
of available for possibilities yeah. and I'm kind of trusting that something will come up and I need I'm I'm, I'm in the you know these situations that you need to get inspired is to be bored so I'm kind of I'm reaching that boredom I actually want to be somehow I want to empty the space and see what comes there and where I could put uh, put my mind into and uh If I like this application I was designing, uh, it it's it never was implemented. It will never probably happen. Uh, I think you two are the one of the rare people who will ever read it. So, so I don't know what my impact is, but I still think that it's part of the discussion. I took part of this discussion. I I put a little thing uh, towards uh, the. Uh, that there is knowledge about it, that there is this kind of uh, approaches existing. I don't know, it it might be that it will lead somewhere, someone somewhere would read it and benefit from it that I might never know about. Yeah. Um, For me, it was inspiring to to read your work, to follow your process, read your work and design implications. So at least you make an impact on me. <laughs> and in my case, I might say that for me, I also ended doing the defining some design implications at the like the last one of the last chapters of the sections of the thesis. And I might say that, of course, there is when when you produce this type of work. Well, in a way, you you have always the the question of that. Who is going to read this? Yeah. <laughs> well, my supervisor, for instance. <laughs> yeah. But I might say that for me, these design implications were also like a, a pass of what are the areas that I want to, to further explore in, in the future. So it wasn't kind of the, the intended, but I, I realized that for me, like the, there were like three topics that I, at least uh, four, that are like critical Like one is to to support this reflection. I think that the the ability to reflect and reflect critically is like really important to take control of our own lives. So that's something that I would like to to work and understand more. Then there is all this aspect dealing with I will I I refer to self regulation, but you might think that but this connects to autonomy. Mm-hmm. How to how to support people who to become more autonomous. Yeah. And I'm approaching it from learning, but I will say that I'm a bit more ambitious and I would like it to, to be in other different domains of or your life. And also how technology can support this autonomy. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Thank you joining for inviting. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's been nice. great talking to you too. And and I was I'm very happy that we were able to kind of like knit together the, the two levels of discussion very specific and more general about technology and research. And I'm glad that we repeated the the, the thing and we came here, that we don't change the, the environment. The for the mm-hmm. It is a special environment. Yeah, I, yeah. Think. I think yeah. so. And it's very cozy and uh, how the voice room sounds. And uh, I mean, yeah, I, I really like the, the opportunity to have this conversation here. Yeah, so yeah you're very welcome to come again some other day and... Uh, Yeah, I mean, if you ever want to have a conversation here, just let me know. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you can start a therapy session. (laughs) This podcast is possible thanks to the support of the Art and Creative Practices Initiative in LT University. Special thanks to Ariel Bustamante and Alto Studios. 